Hi, this is Shannon, and I want to talk to you about my pillow because trust me, I have one of everything. Good news, Mike Lindell is back with his quality products with big discounts for listeners of the show. Go to mypillow.com/regularjoe or call 1-800-648-3665 promo code regularjoe. My pillow is having their big 20th anniversary sale on limited edition my pillows with prices as low as 19.95 for the queen size pillow. I love the my pillow all season slippers. Right now they have the lowest price ever with just $25 with the promo code REGULARJOE. They're easy to clean, hand-sewn moccasin design, made to wear year-round in all climates. And right now they're having the biggest bed sheet sale ever with the Giza Dream Sheet set, as low as $29.98 with promo code REGULARJOE. These sheets come in nine solid colors and four flannel colors. 400 thread count sizing from Twin to California King. They're all machine washable and durable and come with a 10-year warranty. Visit MyPillow.com slash REGULARJOE or call 1-800-648-3665 promo code regular joe that's 1-800-648-3665 promo code regular joe Hello there and welcome Joe Giganti, your regular Joe with you on this Wednesday. As we always say, a happy hump day that means something completely different to Hunter Biden than it does to the rest of us normal human beings here in the United States of America. He'll be on Capitol Hill in just a short time, at least that's what we're told. I imagine that he will say things like, I don't recall, uh, I don't know if he'll plead the fifth or not, but uh, he'll just, I don't, look, I would love to think that they will be able to get useful information out of them. I do think they should make him testify, uh, but we'll we'll have to see. He wants the transcript released almost immediately, which I'm also in favor of. Now, we were talking about immigration a moment ago. We were about to talk about Robert F. Kennedy. I'm going to put a pin in all that to talk to a good friend of mine at the show as well from the National Right to Work uh, Committee, President Mark Mix. He was just with us not that long ago, but since the last time we spoke to him, he was at the Conservative Political Action Conference, better known as CPAC. And uh, so we wanted to get kind of a bird's eye view of CPAC as well as learn a little more about the great work they're doing. Mark, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing fine, Joe. It's good to be with you again, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, the stuff that is important to us. I know you've got a lot of stuff that's important to you, and, and you have a responsibility to talk about lots and lots of things. But let's talk about uh, compulsory force unionism for a minute and how that impacts not only workers but uh, the American economy. Absolutely. And, and now, if I may, before you dig deep, Lynn, first, just you were at CPAC. I didn't get to go this year. Uh, I just wanted to ask now, there was some reporting from some outlets that CPAC was kind of, I, I don't want to, I, I, I'll use the word lackluster, attendance wasn't as good, but then that report was pulled. That that article was pulled, and they said that was not accurate, uh, that in fact it was one of the biggest ever, and there was a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of excitement. Uh, if you could kind of give us your top line, you were there, which which do you think is the more accurate description of this this all-important event? 
Yeah, well, I think the lot the latter is. I mean, there was lots of energy there. I mean, the 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 lineup of speakers was unbelievable. I mean, former President Trump was there. All the the candidates that are being mentioned as vice presidential uh, candidates uh, or running mates with Trump were there. Uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, if you if you're interested in the conservative movement um, and you follow anyone who has podcasts, with be it Ben Carson, uh, Gorka, whoever it is, they were there, and uh, there was an enthusiastic group of folks there. I think. The, the media contingent was was fairly large too. So, I mean, they have an interest in following whether they support what was going on there or not. And I think there are those that attend that have a have a, a vested interest in in downplaying it for sure. Because you know, the American people, when they are actually confronted with the facts and what's actually going on, as opposed to what's been you know sanitized by the the most uh, the largest media operations in the country. I mean, they're there to get the real news, and I think they got a good chunk of it over the the, la- the three or four days or the three days that things were going on at CPAC. No. And, and just real quick to follow on that, uh, would you say overall people were positive in, in terms of, I mean, again, there's, I always say there's a lot of darkness, you know, there's a lot of difficulties. We're going to talk about some of them when it comes to what the unions are up to in a moment. But I always try to tell people, but yet, that, look, the, the Democrats are not as unified as you think. They are scrambling. They're very scared of what Joe Biden can't deliver, won't deliver. Uh, and, and I say there's more than enough reason to be optimistic that if we all work together, we can, in fact, prevail, take back our republic. Uh, would you say people were more optimistic or what was kind of that, the tone of, of the attendees? Well, one of the things that happens, Joe, at these events, you know, I, I have this theory called one downsmanship that uh, people that speak have to basically be have something worse than the person that spoke in front of them. And there's <laughs> lots of things to be discouraged about and a lot of things to be concerned about. But I think this is the this is the basics of, of the American experiment in self-government is there's always hope. And if you get out and you meet people and you talk to people and you see the compassion and the generosity of Americans, you know there's hope. But if you get caught up in the in the media cycle of you know the Washington Post, the New York Times, and and ABC and NBC and CBS and CNN and MSNBC. I don't know who I miss. And even Fox News, frankly, Joe. No, yeah. Uh, you I, I call them the BlackRock News Network. Just so you know, my nickname for yeah. Fox is the BlackRock News Network. Anyway, but go ahead. Yeah, but when you when you listen to show, local shows and shows that are in you know state capitals and states where you know folks live and breathe and have businesses and and are successful, you begin to recognize that you know there is hope and there has to be hope. And you know one of the things that uh, that I've believed in because we're going up against one of the biggest political forces in the country, and that is organized labor and the top union officials across the country. I mean, the other side has problems too. And frankly, with this candidate, they've got real problems and they know it. To your point, Joe. Well, and those just tuning in, talking to President uh, Mark Mix, the president of the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, uh, who's at CPEC, but in perfect transition, you I mean, you talk about taking on a you know a big job. One of the things you guys battle with on a regular basis is organized labor. We always say that the mainstream media is the PR arm of the Democrat Party. Organized labor is kind of the hired thugs of the Democrat movement in a lot of ways in terms of how they try to organize and force their employees to be basically default members of the party. 
Yeah, that's the power that gives them the ability to be the uh, the de facto contributor to the Democrat Party. If you look at the money and you look at the the support of candidates that uh, union top union officials endorse, and it, there's no clearer example of that, Joe, than the United Auto Workers Union. At the beginning of this month, they came out and endorsed Joe Biden for president. Uh, this is 14 members of the UAW Executive Committee that made the decision on behalf of what is about 380,000 United Auto Worker Union members across the country. Of, of half of them are, you know, academics and graduate assistants and healthcare professionals across the country, not even automobile manufacturing workers anymore. But after they, that endorsement, after they announced it to great fanfare in, in the main media, um, Sean Fain went on television and was asked the question about, you know, hey, isn't there a disconnect between rank-and-file workers and union officials? And, and Sean Fain, in context, said this. He said, look, let me be clear. The great majority of our members are not going to be voting for Joe Biden. They're going to be voting their paycheck. And, you know, the follow-up to that was an NBC poll that was conducted back in January when the American people were asked, you know, who do you think is better able to manage the economy and help with, you know, workplace and paycheck-type issues? A 22 percent majority said Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. So if Sean Fain is accurate in saying his members are going to vote their paychecks and vote what, what works for them in the economy, it's clear that he was right when he said a great majority of his members are not going to be voting for Joe Biden, the very candidate they just endorsed and indicated they're going to spend tens of millions of dollars to get elected to the White House again. It, it really it is it is stunning because, as you said, the, the complete disconnect. And it makes it I mean, to me, one of the things I don't understand, and, and I'm sure you probably have this this frustration at times, I, certainly with the work I do, you lay out what is like you just did. You hear that, and how can you think anything but Sean Fain and his his ilk are utilizing what you know what was supposed to be something that an organization that's supposed to support the workers, prompt them up, protect them, take care of them. They're using it as nothing more than a political front organization. Yet you can't generate the kind of response you would think that would give if, if people just understood how they're being abused. And, and I, it's just one of these things where I consistently I'm like, how do you not see it? You laid it out perfectly. You could take if you took 10 Democrats and you, you told them that. Unfortunately, I think six out of 10 probably would be like, well, wait, what's what's the you know, I don't understand. I don't think that's really happening. But yet it's right there in black and white. Their own membership doesn't want to support this guy, but they're using the money from their member dues to do just that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's that's one of the primary injustices of forced unionism is the forced political conformity and the forced ideological association that comes with the idea that you must associate with the union and then to add insult to injury, pay them dues or fees in order to work. And, and, and the, you know, the dichotomy between the views of the top union officials. Remember, it was not just that long ago that the top boss of the AFL-CIO, the umbrella of all, you know, the largest unions in the country, was a card-carrying member of the Democratic Socialist Society. America. I mean, John Sweeney proudly showed it when he was asked about it. And the idea that most rank-and-file union members, whether they be operating engineers or Teamsters or United Auto Worker Union members, you know, that they had the same ideological views as, as the of a democratic social for America is just absolutely absurd. In fact, President Donald Trump would not have been elected if he hadn't won Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania back in 2016. And he probably couldn't have won those, those states without the support of rank-and-file union members, oh, despite the fact that the unions uh, endorsed Hillary Clinton and said, you know, she's the one. Um, so 
there's another prime example of, of this in play, and it's wrong. But because, Joe, union officials rely on government power, whether it be in Washington or Madison or Sacramento or wherever it comes from, their power is a derivative of government action. That's why they have to play in politics, and that's why they have to assure themselves that they have, quote, you know, union boss buddies like Joe Biden in the White House because – their power is a derivative of government action, not necessarily the, the adherence of workers who want to join them because they'll do great things. They're more focused on the political floor than they are on the shop floor, and that's a wrong recipe for American unions. You know, when you mentioned a few moments ago, you mentioned the AFL-CIO. Whenever I hear that, I can't help but think, and, and by the way, I think it's demonstrative of how long this, this game has been played. Uh, 1947, the original Miracle on 34th Street, uh, Gene Lockhart, who played the Honorable Henry X. Harper, the judge, is talking to William Frawley, who played Charlie Holleran, his political, uh, you know, uh, Seuss and, and, and Sayer, uh, who, by the way, was Fred Mertz off of I Love Lucy. I was just going to ask you, that's, <laughs> that's Fred. Right? Yeah, it's Fred, so Fred, Mer- yeah, Fred Mertz. But William, <laughs> so Gene says, well, you know, what I got to do? The guy's crazy. And then Frawley goes, wait a minute. And he goes, go ahead and say Santa Claus is crazy. And then he, he goes to this litany. But the big killer that gets Harper to actually hold the trial is that Frawley says, and then you'll have the AFL of CIO on your back when, they, when there's nobody, they can't make any toys because there's no one buying toys because they don't believe in Santa clause anymore and it just shows it mean as long ago as that was 1947 that because the the position of judge in this case is one that's elected in new york and he immediately goes oh yes i guess we'll have a trial because he didn't want to upset the <laughs> afl cio even back then showing that that you know how they utilized their their money and, and their influence to to try to you know manage politics when in fact again they're supposed to be an advocate for the employees not for a political party yeah, that's right. And that's how labor policy was developed, and uh, wrongly so under the Roosevelt administration back in the 1930s. It gave union officials this dramatic power that's really – no one else has the type of power to force association and then force them to pay dues or fees in order uh, to, to keep or get a job. I mean it's outrageous that they would have that privilege as a private organization, but they do. And, and the predicate for that, Joe, was you know, we got to have labor peace. And labor peace means, look, if you do what we say, we won't beat you up. And that's literally (laughs) the philosophy behind all this, unfortunately. And it goes back to the 1930s, let alone the 1940s. No, absolutely. And it's not, again, you're using, talking about what Sean Fain said, but I mean, you even have the UAW. I I know you guys are working on a case with the Volkswagen uh, uh, factory which is in Chattanooga, right, Where, where they're basically, once again, just trying to force it on people, not even giving the opportunity to make the decision on their own. That's right, and that's a new – that's kind of a new rule coming out of the National Labor Relations Board, which is the federal agency that, that adjudicates labor policy for the country. They made a decision back in August of 2023 that said there will no longer be secret ballot elections, that workers will be recognized by unions for what is called – what are called card checks. But it even goes further than that, Joe. It basically says that if an employer is accused of an unfair labor practice charge, let alone adjudicated as, as committing one, that it's possible that the National Labor Relations Board – doesn't even have to have proof of a majority of workers want to be in the union. They'll just say, you know what, you've got to bargain with the union right now. And they will basically say, we're going to have you, we're going to force you under a bargain order. And that's what Volkswagen, what the UAW is interested in Volkswagen. They've already filed four unfair labor practice charges before they even announced they were getting cards for recognition. And so it's very likely that despite the fact they've lost two secret ballot elections, 2014 and 
2019 or 2013, 2019, I think it was, the employees voted against unionization. They're back. They're going to spend $40 million to try to organize workers in the right-to-work states that are now the primary manufacturers of automobiles. And it's kind of interesting, Joe. They've got to spend $400 million in a mar- $40 million in a marketing campaign to convince people to listen to them about what unions may or may not be able to do for them. I don't know if that's a good sign about, you know, people are eager to get in as opposed to well, exactly. go out and, and yeah, it, it, sounds, it sounds it sounds like the same strategy that uh, that Nikki Haley tried in her home state of South Carolina. It didn't work very well for her, and she was the governor. Hey, Mark, can I ask a favor? We're up. Can you hang on through the break? There's a couple other questions I want to cover, but we got to hit the break. And I, I just I find this so fascinating the work you do, and I want to make sure we cover it because I want to talk about right to work, how that's the big target of the Teamsters now. Uh, because I think that's something people need to understand, especially in a state like Wisconsin, where we, you know, we weren't right to work. Now we are. And it's all important that people understand they are targeting these states where those changes have actually helped to encourage business. Uh, but now the, the unions want to turn back the hands of time and make it harder to do business in these states. And I, I think it's important people know you're working on it. I'll hang around. All right. Hang on. We're speaking with, with Mark Mix. He's the president of the National Right to Work Legal Found, Defense Foundation. You can learn more what they do at nrtw.org. nrtw.org. We'll talk to him a little bit more on the other side of the break about the Teamsters' effort to destroy right to work. The regular Joe radio show.